about it, about what's going on and um, and what you're doing there. Oh dear, it's always a problem doing it. Uh, I think that fantastic Wi-Fi in that Greek uh, taverna may just be letting us down. Let's try again. Can you can you hear me at all, John? Ah, yes, I can hear you again. You disappeared for a little bit. Uh, I noticed they're all cheering in the background. You're you're back on. So uh, I won't interrupt you too much. Just interrupted. Is it right? <laughs> Just tell me what you can uh, about uh, the Isle of Hispaniola, yeah, so, where you so are. So the Isle of Hispaniola is really interesting and strange because it is, you know, th uh, there's two very distinct nations on it. On the one hand, there's the Dominican Republic, which I guess a lot of your listeners will, will know of from a tourist perspective. And then the other side of, of the island, the western side of the island, is, is Haiti, which gets such a bad press for, you know, for lots of, I guess, um, significant reasons. Geo Graphically, it is to the uh, east of Cuba, to the west of Puerto Rico, north of Venezuela was uh, the home of the, of the indigenous Taino people for, uh, for so long, but still very much continues to be uh, a really strange um, point of distinction between uh, Haiti, which suffers so many endemic problems and which, as you say, is also continuing to lead to one of the, the major mass migrations across Latin America at the moment, which is you know, where I normally speak to you from in Campeche, where I was at a migrant camp on Wednesday, which was half full of, of Haitians that perhaps counterintuitively hadn't left two months ago, six months ago, but left in 2013, 2014, 2015, uh, because they got per work permits, temporary work permits to work in, like in the Brazil Olympics and in Chile and so on. But then COVID happened, so they, they started to, to work their way up through, uh, through the various countries, hoping to get up to, uh, to the U.S., Dominican Republic is is uh, very much a Caribbean nation uh, to all extents and purposes, except for the fact that it is Spanish-speaking. Um, baseball, boxing, are the, I guess similar to Cuba, baseball, boxing are the two big uh, sports here. Basketball, a little bit as well, but really, really those two. And I've come to regard it as the land of the swaying hips. Uh, there's nobody I ever <laughs> come to see here who doesn't sort of gyrate their hips in a way that us Anglo-Saxons find to be, you know, slightly uh, devilish. Mm. Doesn't happen in Wakefield. Uh, the, uh, no. Yes, again, the land of the swaying hips does sound like one of the movies that uh, Jed uh, didn't rewind before he took <laughs> it back to, to Blockbusters. Um, so you've got this, this migrant camping campaign. Is it basically the ambition of virtually everybody in there to get to the U.S.? Yeah, it's really interesting because I was there speaking to like half the camp was uh, Latin Americans from mostly actually Venezuela and Cuba which for obvious reasons. In fact, when I asked them why they'd, why they'd left their homes, they basically just said Cuba, Venezuela. And then there were quite a few Nicaraguans and Honduran, Hondurenses, Hondurans as well. But mostly that was because of uh, crime that they, they were moving out. Uh, but yeah, almost everybody I spoke to basically said because the, the Mexican government is now under pressure from the U.S., um, forced to give all of these migrants uh, temporary work permits, residency, and so on. Um, so they are able to stop in Mexico should they want to. But to a man, woman, nobody said we're going to stop here. Whatever happens, whatever the Mexican government gives us, the Holy Grail, the the, the, the destination, whatever happens is to keep moving on to, towards the U.S. So whatever policies the U.S. brings in to try and deter these migrants from, from getting up there, it basically amounts to, to nothing. 
uh, until they, you know, that is their final destination. And until they get there, they're not going to stop anywhere else. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just finally, you mentioned crime, and uh, we both agree on the obsession uh, with the press with uh, Pablo Escobar's uh, hippos. We must have talked about this three or four times, but they're in the papers again. Uh, they're being uh, sedated. Tell us about the latest uh, the la <laughs> with drugs, which is uh, ironic, really. Tell us about the latest... It's a nice headline, isn't it, that uh, yeah. Pablo Escobar's hippos are getting sedated by, by drugs. Um, nothing new in the news here. It's stuff we've talked about before, but it's really interesting that, that the media is so obsessed with this story that it keeps churning out. It's almost like there's a gap in the, you know, in, in the, in the media narrative, and somebody goes, Pablo Escobar's hippos, let's bring that up again, because that seems to get a, a, decent, a, a decent readership. And that's exactly what the newspapers and, and the media have done again um, this week. I guess, you, you know, obviously... You know, narcos on Netflix and in various other contexts is very much a, a sexy topic. And when you multiply that with the exorbitant power of what the capos of these cartels can bring in, which, you know, moving a, a hippopotamus across from Africa to Latin America is no small feat. You know, that takes some infrastructure and some doing. So I guess that the multiplication of that power and possibility uh, added to the whole size and anthropomorphic nature of the of the hippo means that this story, I think, you know, maybe well, be, well beyond your show and my viability as a as a Latin American correspondent, Martin. Uh, I suspect these hippos are going to be continuing to make our headlines. Yeah, it's it's remarkable. And well, for people who haven't heard the story before, they were uh, Pablo Escobar's huge amount of money that he had as a result of the uh, of the drug trade. He bought 120 uh, African hippo, or he bought. A number of African hippos, which uh, are now, um, well, they're causing all sorts of problems, aren't they, on the stretch of the Magdalena River? Yeah. yeah a little known fact, actually, is that Pablo Escobar didn't make so much, so much of his money from, uh, from cocaine. It was actually from his uh, local news agents that he owned, which did a roaring trade in, in magazines. Is that, is, is that right? I never know whether you're taking the mickey or this is absolutely <laughs> true. This is absolutely true. I, yes. Well, he's, yes. he's described. Yes, we heard it here first. He's described in the newspaper uh, as a drug baron rather than a newspaper baron. A news agent. Uh, news agent, yeah. Uh, thanks uh, ever so much as always, John. It's brilliant. And thank you for going to all the trouble of uh, going down there w with your laptop and uh, interrupting your um, whatever it is you're eating in the... Um, uh, I, think that, I, think that, I think the lynching is about to happen. Let's tell them to switch the music back and celebrate the birthday. And bless you, John. Uh, thanks ever so much. We'll talk again uh, next week, if that's okay. Take care, Martin. Good man. Uh, John Bonfilia there, joining us from uh, the Dominican Republic. How about that? Uh, 